Well, we're also launching a new series on Jonah today. So it's my pleasure to bring the, the reading to us from First Jonah for this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we won't, won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and Lot fell on Jonah. And they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. The sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Thank you, Adam. Well, it's been a wonderful day in church so far. I've got to say that baptisms are one of my very favourite things in the life of the church uh, because people get up and testify that Jesus not only changed their life, but they've also made a decision to follow him for the rest of their lives. And if I was to sum up what they're doing in one sort of short phrase, I would say that those four people today are making a deliberate decision to run towards God to run towards him and to follow him with their lives. Today we're starting a new series, as Adam mentioned. And we're learning about a prophet who is doing the exact opposite. Instead of running towards God, he is running in the opposite direction. God is calling him to be a prophet, but he wants to be a not-for-profit. Sorry, that's a terrible dad joke. It will get better, I promise. I can't help it, I'm a dad. And I'm a pastor, so I've got an excuse. But verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh. And so God's saying, Jonah, I want you to come with me to Nineveh. We're going to go to Nineveh. Come with me. Um, we're going to go there. You've got this message for them. And Jonah's going along and he's like, no, actually, God, thank you. But I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm not going to go where you want me to go. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to head towards Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. And so in verse 3, it says he jumped on a boat and he ran or he literally sailed in the opposite direction. Jonah thought that he could hide from God. Now, one of the favourite um, games that my three-year-old son, Lenny, and I play is hide and seek. 
And we love to play hide and seek at the park. And he's a great seeker. He'll come and find me wherever I am. Uh, he loves to come and find me. But it becomes clear as we play that he doesn't understand the idea of hiding yet. And there are four reasons why Lenny doesn't seem to understand the hiding part of the game. The first reason is this, that he tends to hide in the same spot every single time. And so I find him, I say, go and hide again, and he just goes back to the same place every time. You'll know in hide and seek, the idea is to find a different place each time. The second reason I know that Lenny doesn't quite get the hiding part is that when he shuts his eyes and he squeezes them tight, he thinks that because he can't see me, I can't see him. And so he's standing in the middle of the park with his eyes squeezed tight, and I can see him straight away. The third reason I know that Lenny doesn't get what it means to hide is that he always hides in the bushes. Now you think, that's a good idea. Bushes are a great place to hide. He's getting the game. What are you talking about? The problem is that the bushes are this high and he is this high. And so he's like a crane on a building site. I mean, he is sticking right up there and it's exactly um, obvious where he is located. The fourth and final reason I know that Lenny doesn't quite get it yet is that when I say the magic words, ready or not, here I come... He gets so excited that he can't contain it and he starts flapping his wings like this and laughing at the top of his voice. And so it becomes very obvious where Lenny is hiding. And each each time I find him very quickly, he doesn't quite get the idea of hide and seek yet. Now, in a similar way, Jonah doesn't seem to understand that we can run, but we can't hide from a God who's omnipresent. We can't hide from a God who is everywhere at the same time. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. You see, it's hard to hide from a God that Scripture describes as a God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Very hard to hide from God. And yet here is Jonah, the prophet, trying to run from God, and it's pointless. It's like Lenny hiding in the bushes. God sees us, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. So my question for you, first question of the day, is this. Are you running towards God? Or are you trying to run away from him? Are you embracing the gifts and abilities he's given you and using them to serve them with your life? Or are you more concerned about the things of this world? It's a challenging question for all of us. In verse 1 of the passage, it tells us precisely what Jonah is running away from. He's running from his calling. He's running from his mission. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, And said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so Jonah is being spoken to by God. He was called to carry a message of judgment that was to come. But more importantly, he was called to carry a message of salvation for these people. And that's the name of this series. It's called Salvation. And the name of this message is Running to God. And it's really the opposite of what Jonah is doing. You see, God's speaking to Jonah. And he says to Jonah, the word that has come up over and over again in our Acts series, it's the word go. He says, I want you to go. And Jonah is told to go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? 
because its wickedness has come up before God. Once again, as Jonah's trying to hide from God, the Ninevites find out pretty quickly they can't hide from God either. All the things they are doing, God sees those things and he's not happy with what they're doing. Now, church history will tell us that Nineveh was built by a guy called Nimrod. That's an interesting name for a child, isn't it? It's derived from a verb which means to rebel. Mental note, if you have a child, do not call them Nimrod. Because I think if you do further translation in the Hebrew, it also translates as teenager. I'm not sure. You can check that up yourself. But Nineveh was a self-exalting, anti-God kind of a city. In chapter 3, verse 8, it says that it was evil and violent. And so we get a picture of the city that Jonah is running away from. And in some ways, we can kind of understand it. We get a picture of what the city is like. It's a mess. And so Jonah's mission is to go to this evil city and to warn the people that if they don't change their ways, they're going to face the judgment of God. Chapter 3 verse 4 tells us that they have a 40-day period of grace and if they don't repent within that 40 days, the city is going to be overturned and destroyed. But if they do turn back to God and repent of their sin, the message is that they will be saved. Now it becomes clear in this passage that Jonah doesn't actually care enough about the lives of these people to follow God's calling on his life. In fact, he not only ignores it, but as we saw a moment ago, he actively runs in the opposite direction. He doesn't care that judgment is coming. In fact, in some ways he wants it to happen. And so he disobeys God and he runs in the opposite direction. Now the truth is that we have pretty much the same message today as Jonah had. There is a day of judgment coming. And so we have a message of warning, but more powerfully, we have a message of salvation in Christ Jesus. That if we turn to Jesus, we can be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. It's a message of salvation. But it was a challenge for Jonah, and it's a challenge for us. And we we ask ourselves the same question. And the question is, do we care enough? Do we care enough about the people of Officer? Do we care enough about the people of Pakenham? Do we care enough about the people in this region, the people of the world, to carry this incredible message of salvation to a group of people who largely, if they were die, to die today, they would spend eternity separated from God? Do we care enough about these people? Because church, there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. Heaven is living in the presence of a God who is love. A God who is peace, a God who is joy, a God who is all things good. He's gracious and he's kind. And to live in his presence presence is described as paradise. We see things like Bali and we see things like Fiji and all these sort of tropical islands. And people say that's paradise. Well, it doesn't have a patch on what it would be like to live in God's presence when Jesus returns. But there's also a real hell. And a real hell is being separated from that same God. Can you imagine this earth? And imagine all the things that make this earth great. Suck all those things out. Everything good, everything life-bringing, everything amazing, everything wonderful. Bring that out of earth and try and picture what earth would look like. It would be a mess. And it's a little glimpse of what hell will be like. No love, no joy, no peace. Separation from God, utter darkness. The reality is the message we have is a message of life or death. And so I pray that our heart would break enough for people, that we would be willing to care enough to take this message to them. This is our mission. And church, our time is 
short. You know, life sometimes feels really long. Yeah, got it, you know, at best another 50 years. It's a long time. It feels like a long time. But in a lot of eternity, it's like that. The Bible calls it a mist or a vapour. It's here one second, it's gone the next. Life is short and our mission is to carry this message of salvation to the world who desperately needs it. Now, in 1996, here in Australia, we had a, a gun amnesty. Uh, there was a massacre at Port Arthur that we'd all be aware of. 35 innocent people were slaughtered by a, a crazed gunman, Martin Bryant. 22 other people were injured. And at the time, our Prime Minister was John Howard. And as every good leader should do, he stood up and he said, you know, I'm willing to become unpopular for the greater good. He said, enough is enough. Don't get me started on the US gun laws. That'll be a whole other sermon at another time. But ludicrous. John Howard made a decision to elevate human lives above any amendment or right for us to readily access unnecessarily powerful firearms. And he did a courageous thing. It was called the gun buyback scheme. And basically it was an amnesty period. In other words, the government were basically saying, if you willingly surrender and lay down your weapons and you bring them to us, you can do so with no explanation and no penalty, regardless of how you originally got those weapons. Whether you did that illegally or legally, you lay them down in this amnesty period and there will be no questions asked. The government weren't so concerned about how you got the guns, they were more concerned about what, you, what would happen in the future. And so if you willingly laid down your guns, you would not only be compensated, but there would be no punishment for how you obtained those weapons. And so the scheme started on October the 1st, 1996, and it finished about a year later on the 30th of September, 1997. Now, if you went into a police station the day after that amnesty period and you handed in your weapon, you would be punished to the full extent of the law. But if you took your weapon in, in that amnesty period, there would be no questions asked and there would be no punishment. It was an amnesty period. Now, when we go and present the gospel to people, we talk primarily about the love of God. And that's the right thing to do. I mean, God's love is incredible, that he would love you and me, fallen, broken, rebellious, uh, disobedient people, that he would choose day after day, moment after moment, to forgive and to love us despite our shortfalls is incredible. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. His love is incredible. God loves you and God loves me. You know, sometimes we struggle to love ourselves, don't we? We might feel like we're a failure and we might feel like we haven't um, done the things that we want to do. We might not be pretty enough or handsome enough or good enough. And according to society's you know, um, requirements, we might not you know, reach those things. And so we tend to uh, struggle sometimes to love ourselves. Or maybe you're a person who feels like there's no one on the planet that loves you. You're lonely. You've been rejected. You've been abandoned. And you don't feel like anybody loves you. Well, the glorious news of the gospel is that the only person who ultimately counts loves you unconditionally, loves you self-sacrificially. And that's incredible news. But it's made more glorious in the light of the alternative. Because the alternative is that if we don't receive the love of Christ and give our lives to him, each one of us are coming closer to a day of judgment. Because God is love and part of that love is holiness. He can't tolerate sin. He hates it. He is light. Sin is darkness. They don't mix. They cannot coexist. That's why in verse 1 he says, preach against Nineveh. 
because its wickedness has come up before me. In God's economy, sin will not go unpunished. But the great news of the gospel is that in Christ, his mercy triumphs over his judgment. It's more powerful. In Jesus, we can be forgiven despite the fact that we've done the wrong thing. And so right now, we are living in an amnesty period. We're living in what theologians call the age of grace. And we have this lifetime, or until Jesus returns, to fall down on the mercy of God, to lay before him our lives, to lay before him our sin, and bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, in this period of time, there are no questions asked. We are forgiven 100% in Christ. Jesus died on the cross and he did so in our place. He took our sin upon himself. And there when he died, he paid the penalty we deserve to pay. It's an incredible news. In him we don't have to pay that penalty. We're in this age of grace where we can come to Jesus and repent of our sin and we will be saved. And so we hand Jesus our sin. On him at the cross, he absorbs our sin and our punishment. And in return, he hands us righteousness. He hands us relationship with God the Father. He hands us forgiveness. He hands us eternal life. You see, God's not as concerned about the mistakes we've made in the past as he is about our present and our future. And our future is truly found in him. But if we don't lay our lives down, before Jesus, in this time, in this lifetime, before Jesus returns. And if we don't repent of our sins, then one day we're going to stand before him and we'll give an account for our lives and we will have to pay the punishment that Jesus paid already and we will die for our own sins and we will spend eternity separated from him. So I'm going to ask the question again, do we care enough? Do we care enough about people to stop the excuses? Do we care enough uh, about people to be people on mission? Do we care enough to trust the Holy Spirit to take us with this incredible message to see people saved? Do we care enough to put away our consumeristic approach to church where it's all about what I want and what I need and start to care more about people who are heading for eternity separated from him? Do we care enough to make the sacrifices? Do we care enough to love people enough to share the good news? to stop being insular and to start being missional. Jonah's answer to that question was no, a resounding no. He didn't care enough and so he runs, but he can't hide. From verse 4 to the end of the passage, we see God's power at work. We see that he is Lord over all things, including creation. And it makes it even more ridiculous that Jonah would try and run from a God like that. Verse 4, it says that God caused the storm to come. An incredible storm. He clicks his finger and the storm comes. In verse 7, it says he causes the lot to fall on Jonah as the men cast the lots to find out who's responsible for what's going on. God causes that lot to land on Jonah. In verse 15, as Jonah is thrown overboard, instantly God calms the raging sea. In verse 17, he provides a large fish or a whale to swallow Jonah for three days and for three nights. We see God's power in this passage. As I read through this chapter this week again, there's one thing that I really love, and it's probably the thing I love most about this chapter. What I love most about this chapter is the sailors in this chapter and the way that they are radically saved. I want you to bear in mind for a moment that they're only in this story because of Jonah's disobedience. If Jonah had have obeyed God, we never would have heard of these men. But even in Jonah's disobedience, God has a plan of salvation for these people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
It's a reminder to me that God's plans do not rest on us. He's not going, oh no, Jonah's not going to Nineveh. My plans are destroyed. These people in Nineveh, what's going to happen now? He doesn't panic when Luke's too much of a coward to step out and share about Jesus. He doesn't think, how am I going to save that person now that Luke hasn't stepped out and done what I've asked him to do? You see, his plans rest 100% on him and 0% on me and 0% on you. He's not reliant on us. He doesn't need anything. And the morbid truth is this, that one day we're going to die. We're going to go into the ground and at that point the gospel will keep going. It won't even be like a speed bump because God is, is incredible and he will do as he desires to do. We're not called to be part of God's mission because he's desperate or because he needs us. We are invited to be part of the most incredible mission ever. A mission of redemption as he redeems all creation to himself. A mission of salvation as he radically saves people who are destined for eternity without him. And I want to tell you, church, this morning, we should be excited about this because there's no greater mission. It's the only mission you'll ever do that's eternal. It's so exciting to be part of the mission of God. Now, this week I got a phone call, a very interesting phone call on Thursday morning. I just dropped the kids at school. And uh, the phone rang, and I had my hands free, so I answered the phone, and I said, hello, Luke speaking. And they said, is that Luke? And I thought, we just covered that. Yes, this is Luke speaking. (laughs) And this person on the other end of the phone said, thank goodness, it is so good to hear your voice. And I thought, what's going on here? Maybe this person is having a a crisis, they need someone to talk to. And um, she said, yes, thank goodness, it's so good to hear your voice. And she said, do you know who this is? And as she said that word, uh, those words, I recognised the voice. And I said, yes, this is, and I said her name. And she said, I am so relieved to hear your voice. And I said, why is that? And she said, because last night I had a dream that you died. I'm having a good day, you know, like I've just left the school, the sun's shining, life is good, I'm excited about the mission of God, and bam, I'm dead. In an instant, I'm thinking to myself, I hope this dream isn't one of those prophetic ones. You know, like I, two hands come on the steering wheel, I'm going down Bald Hill Road and, and every car that comes towards me, I kind of swerve a little bit this way, make sure I'm going to get written off any moment. And so I'm freaking out a little bit, not really, but I'm a bit stressed thinking this is an interesting phone call. She said, I woke up this morning, I said to my husband, is it true? And he said, what? And she said, is Luke really dead? And he said, well, I don't think so. And so they did what every responsible adult would do and they stalked me on Facebook and they looked at Facebook and they said, well, I think according to Facebook, he's still alive. And she said, I I know Facebook told me you're alive, but I had to ring and hear your voice and I'm so relieved to hear your voice and I'm thinking, I'm so relieved to hear it too. This is great news. I was dead and I'm alive. It's wonderful. But she went on to say, she said, Luke, in the dream last night, we didn't have a chance. In the dream, we didn't have a chance to tell you the impact you've had on our lives. And the, the call went from being a bit alarming to incredibly encouraging. And it reminds me that life can be so short and so delicate. And we can assume we've got five years or ten years or a hundred years left, but we don't know. We could be gone in the next instant. And so we can spend this life chasing a big house. We can go after a faster car. We can get a better job, we can get that promotion, we can have a bigger bank account, but one day we're going to stand before God and that will mean absolutely zip because we can't take any of that with us. But what we can take with us is people. And so what greater mission to share this gospel message with people, this message that you can be saved in him. 
God's mission is the most meaningful thing we can ever give our lives to. It's worth wringing our lives out for every part of our hearts for him. May our hearts break enough for people that we would realise that they need to hear this incredibly good news. It's what Jonah didn't seem to get. In fact, when we contrast Jonah, prophet of God, to these sailors who didn't even know God, the sailors' response is actually a better example to us than Jonah's. In verse 5, when the storm comes, what do the sailors do? They cry out to their gods. All right, granted they were the wrong gods, but their first default position was to cry out to God. What's Jonah doing? He's asleep, bottom of the deck, snoring, in the middle of the storm. Verse 6, the captain actually goes and he gets Jonah and he says, Get up! Pray to your God. Jonah doesn't, but it's the sailor who's encouraging him to. In verse 10, the sailors seem to understand the seriousness of him running away from God more than he does. And they say, Jonah, what have you done? Eventually, Jonah realises and acknowledges he's the problem. And so he says, throw me overboard. But even at that point, instead of just going, yes, let's get rid of this guy and get rid of this storm, it says instead, the men did their best to row back to shore. You see, they cared more for the life of this one guy they've only just met than Jonah did for thousands of people in the city of Nineveh. Eventually, they throw Jonah into the sea. But in verse 14, they cry out to the Lord. And they say, please don't hold us accountable or let us die for this man's life. Jonah's meant to be the prophet of God, but it's the sailors who show him more respect. In verse 16, it says, the sailors were the ones who offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. And I think the passage indicates that these men became true believers of God. Isn't it incredible how God works? Incredible what he does in people's hearts. The passage finishes with Jonah being swallowed by a large fish in verse 17. And it says he stays in there for three days and three nights. So let me finish today by just showing you how Jesus identifies himself with this part of the story in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 to 42. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth after he died. Now we might think to ourselves, hang on a second, Jesus was resurrected on the third day, so how is that three days and three nights? Well, in the Jewish reckoning of time, they always included part of the first day and part of the third day. So in their language, it was three days and three nights. And so Jesus identifies with this. And in verse 41... He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented, which we'll find later in the book. They repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. That something greater is Jesus himself. He's saying, I'm here. You see, in the Old Testament, theologians talk about Old Testament types. And they are people that God uses in a way. And what he does in their life actually points to something greater that will be fulfilled in Christ. And so Jonah in this book is a Messiah type. He's sent to see people saved, but where Jonah fails, ultimately Jesus succeeds. Jonah is sent by God the Father. Jesus was sent by God the Father. Jonah spent three days in a whale. Jesus spent three days buried. Jonah was spat out of that whale, resurrected. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jonah's preaching was used by God eventually to save a city. But Jesus' life, death and resurrection, has the power to save all of humanity for every person who calls on his name. And so he's the one that we need to point people to. Jonah is a picture of what was to come in Christ. So we read this story. I think our estimation of Jonah has probably gone down a few pegs. 
I think our estimation of the sailors has probably gone up a few pegs. But the reality of this story is that God is the hero of this story. And he's the hero of our story as well. So let's not be like Jonah. Let's not run away from God's mission for our lives. But let's embrace God's mission for our lives as of ultimate importance, as of highest priority, using the gifts and ability he's given us to carry a message of salvation to this community. You know what? I believe we're called here. I believe God placed us here in officer. I don't believe it's an accident. I believe this was designed from God in eternity, that he would place a group of people, a community, in this community to carry the message of salvation. And I've got to say, man, it's been so exciting so far. So exciting to see what God's doing. But what makes me most excited is we haven't even begun yet. Haven't even scratched the surface. I believe God's going to use us in incredible ways. In incredible ways to bless this community. I believe officer will be a better place because God's put us here and Christ is in us. So we're going to bless people. But more importantly, I believe God's going to use us supernaturally to snatch people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of life through the power of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than to lay our lives down for him, to live out this mission. It's the only thing that will ever truly count. So if you're a Christian here today, if you're a person who comes to follow every week, I want to encourage you and challenge you. But there's nothing greater to lay your life down for than the mission of God. If you're not a Christian here today, you don't know Jesus, maybe you don't even believe in him, I want to encourage you in the same way to lay your life down in this age of grace, in this amnesty period, and throw yourself on the mercy of a God who is compassionate, mercy of a God who is love. And in him you will find forgiveness. You will find joy. You will find purpose. You will find a mission. And you will have the hope of eternal life in relationship with a God who is awesome in every way. So can I challenge you in that this morning? And maybe one day you look back on this day as the day that you gave your heart to him. And one day you'll be like those four people this morning who stood up and declared what Jesus has done in their heart and in their lives, that he is their saviour, he is their Lord, he is their hope. He is their future. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the challenge of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to the core today to be people who aren't apathetic and lazy, people who aren't scared to step out. But Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be people who are bold and courageous and willing to go and bless our community, love our community and share the greatest news of all time that Jesus died for you and for me. What a great message. Lord, I pray that as people hear that, that you would do the work in their lives. As we've heard in the Acts series, we go, we sow, but only you can grow. And so we trust you, Lord, that you would work in the hearts and the lives of people. As a church, Lord, I pray that we would be sacrificial people, willing to lay our lives down, wring our lives out for the glory of God, to be people on mission. Lord, I want to pray for people, particularly today, who are here and don't know you, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit right now that you'd be speaking to their heart. Lord, I pray that you'd be revealing yourself to them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a miracle in them, that they would come to you and receive you as their Lord and Saviour. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed today, I really feel a sense to give people the opportunity today. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about salvation. I want to give people an opportunity if you're here and you don't know Jesus today, to make a courageous step to say, yes, I want to know him. You may not know everything, that's okay. 
But this morning you can start what is the most incredible journey, a journey in relationship with God. And so if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, or perhaps you have and you've walked away, I want to give you an opportunity to start that journey today. So while every head is bowed, while every eye is closed, if that's you today and you feel like God's speaking to your heart, I'm going to ask you now just to lift your hand and say, Luke, that's me. This will be the greatest decision in your life. It will be the greatest moment in your life. Is there anyone here this morning who says, yep, that's me. I want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to have that hope that you talk about. I want to know that I am loved unconditionally. Is there anyone here this morning in that position? At that point in life? Lord, I just thank you for today. And I thank you for your gospel. I thank you that your word does never return void. That it has an impact because there's power in it. It's not power in the person presenting it. It's power in the word of God. And so today I pray that you would change our hearts and our lives to be transformed and conformed more and more into your image for your glory in this community in Jesus' name. Amen.